it doesn't matter how happy you are being single, that will never preclude you from finding a relationship. There is another lie out there that is, oh, if you're happy being single, the universe isn't gonna send you a boyfriend. Bullshit, bullshit, just the opposite. The happier you are without someone, the happier you will be with someone because someone isn't going to make you happy. And there's endless research on this, by the way, like look up Bella DePaulo's work. Someone else doesn't make you happy. You make you happy. So that whole idea of like, if we're single and we love being single and we love our lives and we love our careers and we travel all the time and we're living as these like super amazing empowered women that will like scare the men away. Any man who would be scared of you when you're happy needs to be scared and stay away. That's not who you want anyway. That was Shaney Silver. And you're listening to Real Talk Radio with Nicole Antoinette, episode 194. Welcome to Real Talk Radio with Nicole Antoinette. That's me, the podcast that's filled with refreshingly honest conversations about the wonderful mess of being human. This month, our theme is dating, sex, and changing the stigma around being single. Our three guests for these topics are wonderful, and I can't wait to introduce you to the first one, Shaney Silver, in a few minutes. Before that, though, I do have a quick announcement to share. The dates and cities for our two 2020 Real Talk Live events have been set. Real Talk Live, if you have never been, it's an event that combines the honesty and truth-telling of this podcast with the fun and warmth of an intimate weekend coffee date with your favorite friends. These gatherings are part interactive interview, so there will be a beloved past guest from the show who comes, and I will interview them live in front of our small group, which is a lot of fun because it's, like I said, interactive. You can ask questions, Q&A, that kind of thing. And then the second part of the event is what I call a Real Talk Roundtable discussion. We do, you know, kind of quick fire writing and sharing prompts that really generate lots of good, juicy Real Talk in person. So if you find yourself listening to these conversations and wishing that you could join in, this is the perfect event for you. It's also a great place to meet other listeners that live in or near your area, and it's great for folks who want to be surrounded by a group of kind, supportive people who will let you know that no matter what, you are never alone. This year's small gatherings will be in Boston, Massachusetts on April 26th and in Portland, Oregon on June 6th. Those are the two live events this year, and you can learn more and grab a ticket at realtalkradiopodcast.com. Just click the link that says live events over there, and you'll find it. And obviously, if you have any questions, you can reach out and let me know. I can't wait to meet you if you are able to come. Okay, we are about to dive into today's episode, and of course, this episode and all the others wouldn't be possible without our awesome Patreon community. This is a 100% listener-supported show, and I'm super grateful to each and every person who votes with their dollars to support our shared mission of bringing more honest conversations into the world. And in today's honest conversation, you'll get to meet Shaney Silver. Shaney is a writer and podcast host working to change the way that being single is seen in the world. Both her writing and her show, A Single Serving Podcast, seek to create content for single women that's about way more than dating. In this episode, Shaney tells us the story of how she was single and miserable for an entire decade until she changed her belief system and decided to stop waiting for a partner in order to live her most fun and fulfilling life. 
She talks about the shifts that helped get her there, the actions she took, including deleting all of her dating apps, which we talk about in detail. Uh, She shares about the supposed contradiction between loving being single while still wanting romantic partnership, which actually isn't a contradiction at all. You'll see. We dive into that. We also talk about reframing jealousy, why we need to celebrate the lives and milestones of single people the way we celebrate couples, and lots more. I am super grateful to Shani for all that she shared. Quick heads up that these stories are obviously from Shani's own lived experience and perspective, which is that of a straight woman dating straight men. So there's definitely some heteronormativity in what's shared here. It was such a treat to have Shani as a guest, and I hope that you enjoy, learn from, and feel comforted by this conversation as much as I did. All of that starts in just a moment, and as always, you'll be able to find all the links and resources mentioned in this episode over in the show notes at realtalkradiopodcast.com. All right, we are rolling. Shani, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I would love to start by asking you one of my personal all-time favorite questions. What are you totally obsessed with right now? Oh my God, two things. Um, Jessica Simpson's book. Ooh, I have not read Jessica Simpson's book. I would like you to read Jessica Simpson's book. (laughs) I just finished it yesterday. It takes me a long time to read things because I feel like I'm always doing 10 things at once and there are always six or seven books going at the same time on my coffee table. Um, I finished it yesterday. It is absolutely incredible. It is so honest and well-written and will inspire you to tell the truth, essentially. Um, She's so fearless and amazing. And we are both from the same part of Texas and relatively the same age. There there were a lot of like parallels that I read in her book and I just really loved it. Um, The other thing is Hunters on Amazon. It's the show about Nazi hunters. Okay. Also haven't seen that. See, I feel like I like that we're one minute in and I already have homework assignments. (laughs) It's great. Um, that show is great. There are some absolute zingers written into that show. I would love to just shake the hands of the people who wrote it. It was really well done and really entertaining and really um, different from anything that I've been watching lately. So I was very appreciative of the the creativity behind that. I watched it all in one weekend. Think of me what you will, but it was a really good binge. Yeah. I mean, gotta love a good binge watch. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I ever would have picked up Jessica Simpson's book without your recommendation, but I am curious and interested. I love, you know, anything in the memoir genre, especially if it's done well. And yeah, the sort of like behind the scenes of someone who's, you know, been in the spotlight for so long sounds really interesting. And if you like that, I would also encourage you to read Angelica Houston's autobiographies. She has two and they're phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. All right. I love it. Um, I always say that the best and worst part of doing this podcast is that my to read list gets so long because people always have these incredible recommendations. And I'm like you where I have like, you know, six or seven books going at the same time, you know, am I in the mood to read this erotica? Am I in the mood for this like really (laughs) serious, you know, like low key depressing nonfiction or do I want, you know, so, um, but I haven't done a good memoir in a while. So there you go. I can fill out the roster. I mean, we haven't even touched on cookbooks yet. Like, it's a whole other thing. Yeah. I Well, you are a Bake Off fan as well, right? Indeed. Yes, me too. I have seen every episode, all of the special episodes. Yes, most of them twice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I am currently uh, going through some like 
health stuff that has required, unfortunately, a really restrictive elimination diet, which is like quite sad. Luckily, it's working. I'm feeling so much better. But for someone who like loves food and loves cooking and loves baking and all of that as much as I do, I'm like, it has been like kind of a sad couple of months. I hear you. I totally hear you. I a year ago, I got really fed up with feeling like crap all the time. And I decided to see if it was like the amount of carbs that I was eating because my diet was really carb heavy and not, there wasn't enough protein in it. And so I cut out carbs, like drastically reduced my carbs. And I started to feel so amazing and so angry at the same time because I'm like, damn it, I want to bake things. And now I don't know how. So it's like, what am I supposed to do if I, I still bake all the time and I just don't eat them. I'll give them to people or whatever. But like, it was a little bit frustrating to realize like I potentially have a gluten intolerance and definitely carbs do not agree with me internally. So that's what's happening. Yeah. The journey of learning more about your body and then having a temper tantrum about what you learned. That's that my current <laughs> yes, journey. Exactly. It's like gratitude for feeling better and also for sure pity party. Both both can be true <laughs> at the same time. Oh my gosh. Um, so something that I would love to talk to you about, obviously we're going to talk a lot about you know dating and being single and lots of stuff in that space. So the topic of jealousy might come up later in the conversation, but I'm interested. I remember reading something that you shared and now I don't remember where you shared it, but sort of about social media jealousy, in particular, the way that you used to feel when you would see people get book deals, and then sort of the transition of what happened next. Can you talk a little bit about just like jealousy for a while? Oh my God, of course. To to preface it though, I do have to tell you that I do Lacey Phillips's work and the sort of mental shift that I underwent with jealousy is largely because, if not entirely, because of her work. I don't know if you're familiar or not. I am not, but I'm definitely going to look it up. (laughs) You should and I'll send you a link and like, don't let me lose you, but she's a manifestation advisor. Yeah, no, I'm into it. That sounds great. (laughs) Give me all the weird woo-woo things. That's, Yeah. It doesn't get much bigger than this, man. It is, um, I've been doing her work for like a year and change. And um, that is what has helped me make a lot of the mental shifts in my life. Not the one from like single sucks to maybe it doesn't because I did that one before I started doing her work. But the jealousy thing for sure. And, and part of how I stopped seeing everyone who got book deals as just something I couldn't have and something I didn't have to something that like, showed me that it was possible was in doing her work. And there's a lot of like reframing of things that used to piss us off that now we can, we can choose to see them in a different way. And the way that I now choose to see everyone on Twitter and everyone on Instagram getting book deals is not, Oh, they got it. Therefore I can't because that's messed up thinking. Instead, what I think is they got it. I can too. This is possible. And it just reiterates to me like, oh, she did it. I can do it. She did it. I can do it. It just, it's this constant like, and sometimes it's daily. Sometimes it's comical. Like how often I will pop on social media and see just like everybody getting a book deal and I still don't have one. And I'm like, it's gotta be coming soon, right, man? Like there's no way that I would be seeing this many people or like going on, like going to dinner this many times with friends and they're talking about people who are getting book deals or they're working with someone who just got a book. It's just like, it's constantly coming at me. And I think it's been testing me to see if I'm really like, if I'm really ready, if like my nervous system can handle this. I know work-wise I can handle it because I'm an absolute Viking when it comes to work. I love to work. It's like, it's, I, it's like my biggest drive. I love to work and I'm miserable when I don't have work I love. But 
every time I see it now, it's less about what I don't have and more about what is possible. And when you can start to to implement that switch in thought process, you can apply it anywhere. Like every time somebody gets engaged or starts dating somebody or gets a promotion, it's less about they got it, therefore I can't, because that's wrong. Like that doesn't make any sense when you really think about it. If they got it, all that genuinely means for you is that you just saw that it's possible. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that that's such a powerful reframe. I'm interested in sort of more of the nitty gritty for you personally of, does this mean that this is your approach to all jealousy? Like, I guess my question is, how do you decide when you're employing like this tactic or this belief shift versus when you're like, you know what, I think that I need to mute or unfollow this person because this thing is making me feel bad? That's a really good question. It's Wow, that is a really good, because I would say most of the time, I'm just choosing to see it as expansive. And I'm now wondering, because I do social media cleanouts all the time. And maybe I'm trying to, to really think about the last person that I unfollowed. Not that we need to throw people under the bus, but I know what you mean. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, you gotta, you gotta do a good bus throw every now and then. Yeah. <laughs> but like, I don't, I don't really remember. I think it's probably, it's weird to say, but I probably unfollow friends more often than anyone else. I I tend to like unfollow relationships that are no longer serving me as opposed to people who are making me feel jealous because that doesn't really happen anymore. So, I mean, if someone's annoying, they're annoying. Like I'm not saying that like people aren't annoying. If you are annoying the shit out of me for whatever reason, I'm going to unfollow you. But if you're, if you're showing me something that I don't have that I want, that's not an unfollowable offense. Mm -hmm. That's just showing me something that's possible. So like all of the time I have chosen to eliminate, eliminate jealousy from my world, but, um, relationships and interactions that don't serve me that aren't like making me feel like I have a lot of self-worth in that relationship. That's an unfollow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I can see that distinction, right? Like one, the jealousy is potentially like just this flare of like feeling or ego or, you know, that it's easy to sort of identify that, catch it. And actually, you know, instead of feeling this way, I'm going to put this onto my like inspiration board, right? Or like metaphorical inspiration board versus, you know, something about this relationship or like this person, you know, is my, making me not feel great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That makes sense. I have literal inspiration boards too on Instagram specifically. Like, I was tired of just like rolling my eyes every time I saw a happy couple. So I stopped doing that and I made a folder on Instagram of all these happy couples. And if I ever want to remind myself that love is possible, that the world is not made of shit, I open that folder and I look at all these happy couples. I mean, mostly it's Chrissy Teigen and John Legend. Who am I kidding? But like just (laughs) scrolling through all of these people who have found each other and who are happy and just like reminding myself like this is possible. Yeah, I mean, and I'm grateful that we're talking about the sort of emotional side of, you know, through the lens of social media, because I think like things that have happened to me in the past and, you know, sometimes even still, when I see something that is maybe making me jealous or that I'm having that kind of reaction to, right? Like if you're using the happy couple example, I think it's really easy to default into the space of, everyone's really performative on Instagram, like just because they're posting these like really happily ever after pictures doesn't mean that's what's going on behind the scenes. And of course, that might be true. And in a lot of cases, as we know, is true, right? It doesn't necessarily reflect like the complete reality of what's going on. But I noticed that that approach for me was making me feel like, really kind of cynical and down. And then like, actually, I don't need to pick apart what might be going on behind the scenes of someone's happy posts. Like that's just like me being an asshole, really. 
Yeah. Like other people don't have to be unhappy for you to be happy. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and also that I don't, I just don't have to pick everything apart. I mean, yeah, I guess I think that it's good to have some perspective and like acknowledging that it's a highlight reel in a lot of ways and, you know, keeping that sort of perspective on it. But yeah, I noticed that when I started to be like, well, this can't possibly be as good as it seems like that's just hurting me. Yeah. Mm hmm. So I have heard you say that you were single and miserable for a decade, and that has shifted. And obviously, there's, you know, probably many, many hours of stories in there that we could talk about. But I would love to begin the conversation by sort of digging into that story. Like, maybe you can tell me a bit about what was going on during that decade that you felt like made you so miserable and like anywhere in there that you want to start. Yeah, I think I was just feeding into a lot of the um, the societal programming and grooming that I had been raised in as a human being. Like we're, you know, when we're little girls, we're fantasizing about our wedding day and playing dress up and shit like that. And it just it just keeps going. the The more you grow up, the more you are fed information that couple good, single bad, just mm-hmm. over and over and over again. Both when when people partner up and they're happy together, but also when something ends, you, it's reiterated to you that ending is bad, divorce is bad, breakups are bad. That's that's the message that you get. And I for. I think when did I end my last relationship? It was like 12 years ago, something like that. So for for a good decade, maybe a little less, I'm not sure. I I always remember like when I had a light bulb moment where everything changed for me and I always forget like the year. I should have written it down, but like there was a moment where after 10 years of thinking that I was incomplete, that I was wrong, that I was bad, that I was somehow failing because I couldn't find anybody and I was just like grinding hard on trying to find someone because that was the message I had. Like I have to find someone I'm not done yet, or I can't even start yet because I don't have someone. And like, I, I'm very anti online dating. I'm sure you can see that by like reading anything I've ever written, but like, I wasn't just online dating. I was in real life dating. I was like out there in the world. There was nothing I wasn't trying to find someone. And it was just never, ever, ever happening. Um, in a decade, I didn't have a relationship at all. I dated people for like longer than a week, maybe a couple of times, but like by and large, there was just no real, real relationship happening during that time. And while it was this endless struggle to find someone and never being able to find someone and just being constantly like rejected all the time, that whole time, while all of that is happening, on the other side of things, I'm hearing like engagement after engagement after marriage after marriage. I'm attending endless weddings by myself and like flying across the country to get to them and spending all of my money on them and like just feeling so awful in the couple world and feeling so awful in the single world. I call it the shit sandwich. Like, what am I supposed to do? Like, I have so much incoming and so much of it is negative. And that was happening for the better part of a decade. And one day I was just like exhausted. I was so exhausted and I was so sick of feeling like I had to fix something while simultaneously being unable to fix that thing. It just, I couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't be miserable anymore. And I didn't believe that that's why I was alive. I was like, there has to be more to being alive than this. And anyone who's like single and not happy about that knows what this feels like. They know the dark places of being single over 30. And it can get really fucking dark. And that's not fair. It was never fair. 
because being single was never bad. And it's this, in my opinion, it's this lie that we've always been told because there's something really comforting about people partnering up. There's something really comforting about the phrase settle down. And if you aren't doing that, there's something wrong with you. And that is just a massive lie that I didn't want to live anymore. And when I stopped living it, I felt so much better and so much happier and so much more like whole and valid. I couldn't not tell other people about that. I can't have this and not share it. So you mentioned that there was like a light bulb moment for you. Was it like, did something specific happen? Like, or was it just like the cumulative impact of this? Like, do you have a clear memory when you were like, no, I am not going to do this anymore? I have a very clear memory and nothing special happened at all. I was sitting in, I was in my early thirties and I was sitting in the back seat of my mom's car over Thanksgiving and we were running errands and I was just sitting in the back seat. And there is something really childlike about sitting in the back seat of your parents' car, whatever age you are. <laughs> but I remember sitting there and just being like, I don't have to, I don't have to do this anymore. I can just stop. I can stop seeing myself as unfinished or as broken or as a failure. I can stop this pursuit of partnership and I can just live. And that can start right now, this second. And I'm whole and valid right now, this second. There's a horrible uh, feeling or undercurrent, I think about being a woman, but maybe about being a person that we are always behind we're always behind. We always have like this, this hustle to be on. There's always something that we have to fix or do or improve. And we're not behind. We're, we're here. And like the societal deep breath that needs to happen around being single is just so big. And, and mine happened, you know, while going to Costco with my mom over Thanksgiving. Yeah, I'm always really interested in the sort of, okay, then what of these light bulb moments, like that my sort of point of personal reference to what you're saying, which I know is about a, a different subject. But for me, it was the day that I decided to quit drinking. And it was the same thing. Nothing really dramatic had happened. It was just sort of this, wow, I really don't have to keep hurting myself in this way anymore. Like I can have a life that is bigger than this and I can be a different person than this. And it was a similar, like as I'm hearing you describe it, it's like there's so much resonance for me of the day that I was just like, it's enough, actually. Like you can be done, like you can put this down. And that was obviously a huge pivot and everything wasn't magical overnight for me. So I'm, I'm interested in sort of the the what happened next for you, right? So you like finish running the errands, it's Thanksgiving, like then what? Like, w is there anything specifically that you changed? Like what was the like ongoing process like after that moment? It was slow at first. It was a different way of thinking about things. And it was slowly saying no to one thing after the other. Like it was saying no to answering people's questions about, are you seeing anybody? Like I, I didn't have to put on a show for them anymore. I didn't have to be their like stand up comedian with a funny answer to that question anymore. I could just tell the truth and watch their reaction and have them understand that it's no longer okay to ask me that question. I started writing about it this way a lot more. I started, I started flipping the situation on its head and I started saying, instead of constantly writing content or, telling stories about, you know, hey, ladies, here's how to survive dating. Instead of accepting that narrative, I asked myself, like, why don't we ever say, hey, guys, here's how to not make dating something women have to survive. I started asking myself those questions, like, why are we doing this this way? 
Why does it have to be this way? Why are there all of these like Tinder nightmares memes where it's always the guy saying something horrific to the girl? Why are we laughing at that? Why is it funny? It was a really slow process in the beginning, and then it's, it definitely picked up speed in um, in 2018. My column on Refinery29 started, and uh, about four or five months after that, my podcast launched, and I started saying things more loudly and taking more drastic measures. In January of 2019, I deleted all of my dating apps, and I have not re-downloaded them since, and that is by far the best most positive change that I have made since this whole reframing. Mm, Okay. Yeah. I would love to talk more about that. So deleting the dating apps, was this like a impulsive thing? Was this like a, you thought this out and like weighed pros and cons? Like what, what led up to the decision for you to do that? They were always just the source of what's a good word. Badness. (laughs) They were always a source of, pain. And it was always just this unfortunate situation. Anytime I was interacting with a dating app, it was unfortunate. If I was just swiping into oblivion and never matching with anybody. And by the way, the further I got away from age 30, the fewer matches I got. And that's just a terrible feeling. Every time you're in an app for just like the world to reiterate to you that you're expiring, that's just a horrible feeling. And then when I would match with people and it would be really rare, the conversations were just horrible. It was like these men couldn't be bothered to communicate. It was just like they were all just waiting for someone to offer them a blowjob. It was ridiculous. It was just like this very ridiculous, useless process. I was going on, I would say in like 2017, 2018, I was probably going on three dates a year. Like that's how often I could actually like wrangle somebody into meeting me in person. And that was only after I was suggesting the date. I was suggesting the time. I was suggesting the place. I was handling everything and feeling like shit because nobody lifted a finger to meet me. Like it's a horror, like I'm worth so much more than that, but I was like accepting so little and so low. It was just a terrible place to be in. And then in, in January of 2018, I was like, I, this isn't serving me. It has never served me. Why am I doing this? And I'm doing it to myself. Like, why am I doing this? There's no point And I refused the narrative of if you're not on the apps, you're never going to meet someone. I refused it. And I started paying a lot more attention to the stories of how people met. Again, not from a jealousy lens, but from a this is possible lens. Like I want to hear more stories and tell more stories of how people met that had nothing to do with dating apps. And I know that people are meeting on them. That's fine. But those aren't the stories that we're telling. We're telling the horror stories. We're telling the funny, like, Tinder nightmares memes. That's what's getting the attention, not the positives of these things. And also, if you look at the numbers, like the millions of people that are on apps versus the number of people that actually find genuine partnership from them, it's completely imbalanced and it's bullshit. Dating apps have zero vested interest in you finding your partner. They have a vested interest in exactly the opposite. They want you to be using the app for as long as possible. So like, why are they going to help you find somebody? And you can dig into like the information on what percentage of them are filled with bots and stuff like that. It's just, it's all ridiculous. So I just, I just got tired again. I was like, this is not serving me at all. It's doing just the opposite. It's hurting me. And I don't want to allow something to hurt me anymore. So I'm done. Yeah. The empowerment of walking away from a broken system. Yeah. is like can be really hu- I mean huge and you mentioned 
you know, choosing not to believe that the only way to meet someone is being on these apps, right? And like, I think that's probably a common fear that people have when they consider getting off the apps. At least I've heard that, you know, from friends. Has has there been anything else you've heard that you would say are like kind of common fears or excuses people have for, you know, even if maybe they want to stop trying to date in this way, why they feel like they can't? They just feel like they're not doing enough. They feel like they can't delete the apps because then they aren't doing enough to fix this problem, this singleness. It's a, it's, we're taught to believe that this is a problem we have to fix. And if we're not putting in any effort, we're going to be alone. And alone is bad. But all of those things I just said are lies. Alone is not bad. We don't have to try to end being single. We can just live life and allow partnership and love to find us and to come into our lives when it's meant to. We don't have to constantly be steering ourselves toward love or toward partnership through any avenue available to us. We don't have to do that. We can just let go and live and we're still worthy of partnership then too. Mm, Yeah, I love that. I mean, I love what you just did too about sort of going beneath, you know, the the assumption, right? Like maybe the assumption is that, you know, the only way to meet someone is if I'm on these apps, right? Okay, maybe that's flawed, but going a step deeper to be like, why is this even a a thing that I have to fix or what, what story am I telling myself that means that I have to be putting in, you know, almost like a second full-time jobs worth of effort in order to date or to meet someone, right? Like that there's, it's like the broken thing underneath the broken thing. Oh, and there's so many broken things. And this is by the way, completely ignoring the fact that there is a very real timeline that women who want to have children are on if they want to have children biologically. I get that. I don't. I don't want to have children at all. And I fully acknowledge that that takes me out of a lot of pressure in this situation. But even when I look at women who do want to have children and the urgency with which they are operating in the dating space, I just fear for anyone who is partnering just to have kids. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like that motivation is putting like a secondary layer and a secondary expectation onto a relationship that I worry about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And so for you, in you know, it sounds like deleting those apps was something that you have not regretted at all. Is that a fair assumption? Oh my God, just the opposite. <laughs> I wish I could bottle and share the amount of joy <laughs> that has come back into my life since the dating apps left it. It's just a, it's a much more beautiful way to live. I don't miss them. I'm never, ever drawn to re-downloading them, but I have been in the past and I do know that feeling. I know the feeling of thinking like, I should just re-download, I'm just going to re-download them, it's fine. And then the whole cycle starts over again. I remember that feeling. I did it a thousand times, but I haven't this time. They have not come back at all. It's been 13 months without the apps and they have been the most beautiful 13 months of my adulthood. So that's interesting that, you know, when you were saying that previously to these 13 months, you would, you know, delete them, redownload them, right? Like maybe be in that cycle. What do you attribute the more like permanent change to? A lot of it is the Lacey Phillips work I've been doing, honestly. I've been doing a lot of work on my self-worth and my deservingness and sort of re-evaluating all of the messages that I was programmed with as a kid. So that's a lot of it, but also like I credit the exhaustion with a lot of it too. Like I just didn't want to live that way anymore. And I found a way to not live that way anymore. It was a lot of just internal motivation to be happier and a refusal to believe that the only way to be happy was to find a man. Like that's bullshit. It's 
so much of the single girl's happy ending, if not all of the single girl's happy ending involves finding someone. And I tried for a decade and didn't find someone. And I started questioning whether or not that was the only happy ending I was allowed to have. And I'm allowed to have a thousand different versions of happy endings. I get to have, and by the way, what's an ending? Like, I don't right. even know when, when end starts. Um, but yeah, I just, I wanted a different narrative for myself and I, I wanted to give it to myself. I didn't want to rely on anyone else to give that to me. Maybe that's stubbornness or me being incredibly controlling. I have no idea, but I, I didn't want to rely on something outside of myself to make me happy because I had been doing that for 36 years prior and it wasn't working. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, just that simple act of asking yourself, okay, I have been doing X for however long. Is doing X making me feel good? Is it getting me like where I want to be? Right. Like, and if the answer is no, obviously we have to do something differently. And it's just funny how often we act as if that's not the case. Yeah. Yeah. Something that you talk about really well is sort of this like supposed dichotomy, I guess, between loving being single while still being really open to or wanting partnership in that way. I'd love for you to to talk about that sort of how like it's not necessarily an either or it's like a both and because I think that that perspective is really helpful and way more empowering than the alternative. Yeah, it's not even a little bit an either or. It doesn't matter how happy you are being single. That will never preclude you from finding a relationship. There is another lie out there that is, oh, if you're happy being single, the universe isn't going to send you a boyfriend. Bullshit. Bullshit. Just the opposite. The happier you are without someone, the happier you will be with someone because someone isn't going to make you happy. And there's endless research on this, by the way, like look up Bella DePaulo's work. Someone else doesn't make you happy. You make you happy. So that whole idea of like, if we're single and we love being single and we love our lives and we love our careers and we travel all the time and we're living as these like super amazing empowered women that will like scare the men away any man who would be scared of you when you're happy needs to be scared and stay away. That's not who you want anyway. So let's stop believing the lie that if you're happy single, that will like repel partners away from you because that's not true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, all of these things, it's like almost silly when we like start to talk through it. And as you break it down this way, and yet these lies or myths or like overarching cultural beliefs are so deeply rooted Yeah. Yeah. So will you talk a little bit about some of the specific things that have made you love your life more? I'm always interested, you know, like if for whatever reason, maybe it was waiting for a partner or like anything else, if someone feels like they were like putting their life on hold, sort of that I'll be happy when, right? Or I deserve to do this when and sometime in the future and sort of the reclamation of actually, I'm going to do these things now. What are some of the things that you started to do? Oh God, everything. I bought a couch. Um, I used <laughs> Wait, to think hang on. <laughs> that's amazing. You bought, I like it. Bought a couch was the first one. What do you mean? Well, that was really the first one. Like I used to, I mean, this is some deep seated, embarrassing shit, but like I used to operate from that place of, well, I don't want to have a super nice couch because then when I move in with someone, what if he has a super nice couch too? And then I don't want to have to get rid of my couch. And then what am I going to do about all this shit in my kitchen? And we'll have two of everything. And what am I going to do about that? By the way, if you do uh, move in with someone who has a fully stocked kitchen full of appliances, you just have a garage sale and make some money. I've seen it happen. Um, So the couch, 
I had a piece of shit couch because I was moving around the country a lot um, when I was like late 20s, early 30s. And I hated my couch. It was super uncomfortable. My cat had ripped it to shit. Like there was just no point in this couch anymore. And I was like, I'm not waiting to get married to have a nice couch. It was like a very defiant, like foot stomping moment. So I bought a West Elm couch and the cat still ripped it up, but it's still here and it's really cute and I love it. And then that just sort of bled into everything else. It became like, get rid of the shitty dishes in your kitchen and buy the set you want. Get rid of the shitty silverware and buy the silverware you want. Find more permanence in your home. Your life is not temporary and your life is not waiting for someone else to join it so that it can start. So it was like a removal of everything that I had in place that was temporary and an increase in permanence in my own life. And that that took shape in so many ways. My favorite way is travel. I used to be scared to travel alone. I used to think I couldn't travel if I didn't have someone with me. And I got over that fear by just giving it a try. Yeah. Where's the first place you went? I went to DC. Um, I also, I should preface by saying uh, back then, much less so today, but back then I was suffering from really, really, uh, really bad anxiety with like full on panic attacks that felt like I was having a heart attack. And it was just, it was horrific. Um, it's, it's so weird to even think about it now. I haven't thought about that in a really long time, but back then it was very, very real and kind of debilitating. And I knew I had to take baby, baby steps. So I went to DC for a long weekend from New York and it was a train ride. It wasn't a plane. I felt like that was a more gentle mode of transportation. Um, it was to a city I'd always wanted to see and never had. So I went for a long weekend. I stayed at a really beautiful hotel. Back then I was a member of the press and I had an amazing press rate. I went to every museum I wanted to see. I walked everywhere. I'm a really big fan of like long distance walking. And I went to amazing restaurants. It was just everything I wanted to do. I did. And the whole time I was down there, I had absolutely crippling anxiety. It's horrific. Like, absolutely horrific. Everywhere I went, I felt like people were looking at me and I didn't like being looked at at the time. I'm still not a massive fan, but I really didn't like people looking at me and thinking in my head that they were thinking something negative about me or something incomplete about me or like pitying me, something like that. Like every time I would sit down to have a glass of wine at a bar and read a book or go to dinner or anything, I was afraid that I was like sticking out as a single person. And like, that was a bad thing. None of that was true, by the way. Like in reality, there was nothing bad being said about me or thought about. No one notices. No one gives a shit that you're sitting at a bar by yourself, unless it's some dude who wants to talk to you. Like no one cares. But I did that long weekend in DC just to sort of get over the anxiety of it to kind of like immerse myself in that situation. And on the way home, the anxiety lifted and I was like, I did it. I did it. Now I can do other things. And now I go to Paris once a year. Mm, yeah. I love that too. The idea of kind of baby steps, right? We are like taking the train is more approachable, you know, going somewhere that's not that far away. I think so often we think we have to do like the most dramatic thing, right? And it doesn't always have to be that way, right? Like you didn't start by going to Paris. No, I did not do a full eat, pray, love the first time. I was just <laughs> like, that isn't necessary. We can take baby steps. That's another thing. Like you don't have to change everything. You don't have to try everything. You don't have to completely rock yourself off of your foundation. You can take things in smaller steps that feel better to you. And that's okay. That's still a huge accomplishment. Yeah. And also you uncover things as you go, right? It's not like, okay, you make this decision and then all of a sudden you see, here's all the things that I'm going to change. It, it like does happen in a sort of domino fashion, right? Like you said, you bought the couch, right? You knock over the first domino and then you don't know what's going to happen after that. Oh my God, I know. And the dominoes just keep like 
getting better and better and better. It's like now I'm afraid to travel with other people. I'm like, <laughs> I don't want you here. Like, get out of here. Um, yeah. Do you feel like there's anything that in, in sort of this phase of I guess taking your life back that's been surprising to you? Like it sounds like maybe you knew that you were putting more permanent like home furnishings on hold, but was there anything that came up where you were like, oh wow, I didn't realize that the lies about being single had sunk its teeth into that area of my life too? Yeah, I think when I started telling the truth about not wanting kids, that was the most surprising realization for me. Like to be able to like it was so baked into me. It was such a supposed to in my mind that I never questioned having kids. I was always like, this is what I'm supposed to do. And this is what I'm going to do. And then all of my friends started having kids. And I started freaking out because I didn't want that. I didn't have any bone in my body that wanted what they were doing. Just the opposite. I was really put off by every single part of pregnancy and mothering and raising a family, all of that. I just really didn't want to do it. I was really happy for all my friends that were doing it, mostly because I got to hold cute babies. But like, it wasn't something I wanted to do. And, and acknowledging that for myself, realizing it, then acknowledging it, and then starting to say it out loud. That was the most surprising thing that happened. I didn't expect that. I, I really thought up until, God, I don't know, 32, 33. And I probably started telling the truth about it when I was 34, 35. Up until then, I thought I was going to have kids. I thought that that was what you did. And that was what I was going to do. But I also saw like that that sort of supposed to in my head was causing additional pressure in my dating life. And it was making me feel even more behind and even more like a failure. And I was like, why am I letting this pressure enter my brain for something I don't even want to do? I can just let it go. It's very, it's not unlike how I thought about like religion almost. Like I was raised very, very Jewish. And one day I was just, it became very clear that I did not believe in God anymore. And I just, I didn't have to do anything big. I didn't have to do anything major. I just let it go. I just let it go. And I just let the notion of having kids go too. And like letting things go has been very surprising and very freeing and wonderful. Oh, yeah. I hit that realization point about not wanting kids a little earlier. I think it was like 26, 27. And it wasn't that I previously thought that that was what I wanted. It sounds like similarly to you, it was just an assumption, right? It was sort of this like vague amorphous at some point I will do that because that's just what you do, right? In like very big air quotes. (laughs) And, you know, I was, I was like 26, 27. I was in you know, a wonderful relationship with a great partner and this sort of reality of, oh, like I'm at the age where like this would sort of make sense potentially, or like it became a real possibility, I think in my head for the first time. Um, Not that people don't have kids earlier, but it um, wasn't something that I thought of as a real possibility when I was in my early twenties, right? Let's say. And then when it did become something of, oh, this wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility, right? For this to, to happen right now. It was like, oh my, oh my gosh, I don't want that. And it was like almost a laughable surprise to me, like how intense that feeling was. And then kind of to your point to start telling the truth about that and what winds up kind of happening as a result has been really interesting. Um, have you found yourself getting pushback on that? Not that other people's opinions about it really matter. It's such a personal choice, but I'm interested as you started to be more honest about not wanting kids, what happened? Yeah. Nobody believes you. 
Yeah. Everyone's like, oh, you'll change your mind when you meet your husband or you'll change your mind when you're a little older. Don't you change your mind when? And it's like the more babies I see born, the more I am sure that I have made the right decision, guys. Like no one believes you. I, I feel like it's because I'm a woman and there's a lot of like we make the babies. <laughs> so like, of course, people are going to just sort of assume that like this is some sort of instinct or something that's going to kick in, which is not to say that I don't have a mothering instinct. I really do. A couple of days ago, it's a random story, but a couple of days ago, I, um, my cat's groomer came over to the apartment and while she was giving my cat a bath in the sink, my cat started to freak out and she always screams and moans cause she's like spoiled. Um, but there was one point in the bath where she made a noise that was so intense, like she was in pain and scared and wanted to get out. And it was louder and more potent than I had ever heard before. And mentally, it scared me and I was concerned. But there was something in my stomach that uh, I was like instantly nauseous for a second. It was like I was so the, the need to like get to her and protect her was not in my head. It was somewhere else. Like it was my body having a reaction that I did not approve. So like, it's not that I don't have an instinct to care for other people or other things or like that I'm not nurturing. That's not it. But I just don't want to have babies of my own. I don't want to like, I don't want someone else to be in charge of my life that way. And that's, that's what happens. Like, sorry to the moms. <laughs> I feel like I make all of my decisions with me in mind and I am not ever going to be willing to change my life such that this other person is sort of guiding everything. Yeah. I mean, I feel exactly the same way. So yeah, completely. So you, you start making changes in your own life. You're feeling much happier as a result. Was there, um, like a moment or a particular time that you remember where you realized that you wanted this to go from like a personal journey, I guess, to something more professional when you're like, Oh, I actually want to create content, you know, for other single women. I've been writing on the topic of dating since about 2013. I was writing for ExoJane for a long time. Um, I've been writing on Medium for a long time. I've written for HuffPo, a few other places. And I'd always written just about like the horror stories of dating because that was just like kind of what we talked about. And I thought that like in doing that, I might call it out and I might get people to change. I don't think I did, but I was still like practicing my writing and getting better at it and just sort of getting louder and louder. And I think I'm not sure when I knew that I wanted it to get a lot bigger because I always wanted it to be bigger. As soon as I started, I knew that I wanted to write about this forever. I knew I wanted that to be my role and my profession. I've always known I wanted to be a writer, but a writer for women in this capacity sort of started to, to materialize in 2013. And then in the summer of 2018, um, I've stayed in touch with Christine Barbrick, the global editor-in-chief of Refinery29, since I worked for Refinery29 many, many years ago. I was their Chicago editor. And we've always stayed in touch, and she's always um, checked in on me like a couple times a year, especially when I moved to New York. And every time she would check in on me, she would recommend books. And she has the best book recommendations out of anyone I've ever met. And one of the books that she recommended to me was called um, Better Than Sane by Alison Rose. And I read it and there was a, a passage in that book where Alison Rose spoke about the little dishes of poison that married people serve to single people without knowing it. And that inspired me to write something called Single Girls Get the Couch, which is about when you go on vacation with your friends and everybody gets an Airbnb, like this single person gets the shittiest sleeping arrangement and how fucked up that is. <laughs> like we are not lesser people but we are treated as lesser people so often and so quietly 
in so many different ways when you really think about it. Um, so I wrote single girls get the couch and I sent it to Christine and she's like, why aren't you writing for us? And I'm like, I don't know, let's change that. So then every single day was born and it has been online since October of 2018. Yeah. I'm still, I'm like having a little moment here about that little dishes of point. Like that's man, that is so real. It's so real. And it's, they're everywhere. They are everywhere. Can you give like some if, more examples? I feel like I'm like, re- like I need to pause here for a minute on this. <laughs> like oh, just, yeah. of course. Of course. When's the last time you went to dinner with multiple couples? Um, I mean, yeah, I have, I have done that quite often, I feel. When did you sit down? What do you mean? Did you wait for them to sit or did you sit first? I don't know that I've ever thought about that. I have. You wait for the couples to sit down because you don't know where you fit. You wait for the odd seat out and that's where you put yourself if you're the single girl. And I stop doing that. I sit my ass down wherever I want to be. And I don't care if a couple can't sit together for one meal. I don't care. But I used to care because it was like an imposition by this single girl to split up a couple who can't sit together. Like on airplanes, you're asked to move. Like, it's, you know, it's, we're, we're reiterated to a lot that we matter less. Like I just, I just worked on a piece um, earlier today, which I guess we'll publish a couple days after this goes live about third wheels. I wrote a whole piece about third wheels and how I love being one. And I have a lot of friends who are like very willing to hang out with me as a third wheel because it's, we don't make it weird or awkward, but society does. So there are a lot of, a lot of different ways that, that single people are reiterated to that they matter less. And I want to, um, change that. Yeah. Of this, this might be kind of a a tough question, but of all the sort of different topics that you've written about or talked about, like, do you have a favorite of like a thing that you published that you were like this, like, I want everyone to read this. Oh God. So many, there've been so many. That's a, that's an almost impossible question. I will say there've been a couple of things I've done recently that I've loved. There's something I just put on medium called the insanity of being single. And it's one of the most memoir style pieces I've ever written. I don't tell a lot of personal stories anymore. I don't tell dating horror stories really. I don't think that's a way that I want to entertain people. I don't think that's fair. Um, But in order to tell this story about how insane it can feel to be single, I had to tell a very personal story. And I'm very proud of that piece. And um, I'll send you a link to it if you want to read it, if you are waiting in line for coffee or something. So that one is is really important to me. More recently, um, I feel like this is very culturally relevant. I don't know how relevant it's going to be in a few weeks. I hope it's completely irrelevant in a couple weeks, but I doubt it. Um, I just wrote something called Are Single People the New Gladiators? And it's about the fact that single people are used for entertainment in a really, quite frankly, offensive way to me. And the example I give is Love is Blind. That new Netflix show? Yeah, I watched the trailer for that. I'm like, this is horrifying. Horrifying. Yeah, I haven't watched the show, so I can't speak about that. But um, I I read your piece on it, and it just like confirmed everything that I thought that the show was going to be. So It's nauseating. It's absolutely nauseating. And I'm like, I literally... I get so angry and I don't, I don't want to even things out. Like I don't want there to suddenly be a show where 12 couples are trying to get pregnant and whoever gets pregnant first wins. Oh like God. I don't want to even, you know what? Think that about it. They would never do also. That. 
They would never do that because you don't do that to couples because couples are sacred and single people. We can do whatever we want to them. I don't want it to be evened out. I don't want there to be horrifying shows that exploit couples. That's not what I want. But I want people to understand that these shows that that exploit singlehood are it's fucked up that we're entertained by this. Like why the whole premise that they're relying on, like to like connect with somebody without ever seeing them physically. That's fine. There is nothing wrong with that at all, but to require them to get engaged before they can see each other. Why couldn't they just go to dinner? Like, I don't understand. Like, why couldn't they just go on a date? Like what's wrong? Cause it's with not that? as dramatic. <laughs> it's not as fucked up either. It's, I know. It's I so agree with you. Gross. And then I was like, it was very kismet. Like I was, um, I was approached by a PR company for this show in New York. This, the same time I was writing this piece about love is blind, I was contacted by this company called updating and updating is I'm not kidding. It is a live in front of an audience blind date where two people are blindfolded on stage and they're like on a date talking into microphones with an audience, like watching them. Never. I never, ever, ever, ever would want to do that. But like people are just like laughing the whole time and people are like volunteering for this. And I'm like, please ask yourself what you're doing and why you're doing it. And to the creators of this thing, I just, I want to talk to them so bad, but I don't want, I feel like I would just get in a fight with them. And I don't want to fight with people who are like working hard and who are thinking that they're doing something good. I just, I want them to, to reevaluate the premise and the motivation and like, why we think that the dignity of single people is worth so much less than the dignity of couples. Yeah. I mean, and this goes back to what you were saying before about, you know, that one of the first changes or shifts that you made personally was, you know, being more honest in sort of how you're answering questions of, are you seeing anyone, right? Or like not really entering into those conversations. And you said like not being willing to tell like funny, bad dating stories. Or I I think there's like something really raw and really important in what you're saying about looking at these pieces of ourselves. And, you know, it could be about dating. It could be about, you know, any number of other things, like the ways in which we sort of turn ourselves into the punchline or, you know, make really self-deprecating comments because that's more like socially acceptable and maybe on the surface it seems fine and we're laughing, but that it's actually quite a bit of self-harm, I think. Exactly. That's exactly it. But we never ask because it's societally acceptable to laugh at single people and to laugh at dating horror stories and to laugh at the memes and to laugh at all the the things that men say to women that are actually really degrading and they should be ashamed of it. But we laugh at it because like surface level and like traditionally it's funny, but is it really? And are we even asking ourselves if it's funny? Or are we just like kind of going along with it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of my other favorite topics that I know that you've covered and talked about is how we don't celebrate the lives of single people, the way that we celebrate like milestones for couples. And yeah, I would love for us to talk about that a little bit. Can you, um, I guess kind of like give an intro on your feelings on that? <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah. It's, um, well, I've lived through my 20s. <laughs> I've lived through most of my 30s. And um, I've seen what we celebrate and what we don't. And after I graduated from law school, I noticed that nobody celebrated me anymore. Like it was, I made a really big deal out of my 30th birthday because I think I was really starved for like affection and starved for feeling special because I just come off the end of like almost all of my friends from college getting married, if not all of them. Um, and it was just like wedding after wedding, after engagement, after engagement. And there were just so many parties 
for this one thing, which was finding a partner. And there was never any kind of celebration for anything I did. And that felt very unfair. And the excuse that I was always told was, well, when you get married, we'll celebrate you. I'm like, well, what if I don't get married? So then I'm just like not worthy of being celebrated. Like I have drained my bank account over and over and over and over to celebrate people. By the way, the fact that all the weddings happen when you're in your 20s and have no money is so messed up and yeah. unfair. Yeah. Like why does this happen? Like now I'm more than happy to hop on a plane and go celebrate you. But like back then it was like, am I going to have to open a credit card to be a good friend right now? Like this is so not okay. Well, and just the assumption that it's like that, that's something that I wish was talked about more. Um, like even within friendships and between things that like, Hey, not everyone has the same budget. Not everyone like this isn't financially accessible, you know, for everyone who you might be inviting. And that the immediate sort of thing is like, if you don't go you know, to the wedding or to the baby shower or to whatever, like that you're a bad friend, right? That there's, there's something in that like really binary way of looking at things that I also think is, is quite harmful. Of course it is because we hold up your wedding day as the most important day of your life. And if it's the most important day of your life, you can ask whatever you want to ask of everyone around you. But if your wedding is the most important day of your life, the wedding comes pretty soon in the grand scheme of your life. You have a lot of life left. Like, I feel like it maybe shouldn't be that important. I feel like all of life, there should be more of a celebratory nature to more things than just your wedding day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a, a quote of yours that I loved that I pulled out and like hand wrote in my notes when you said, quote, I didn't throw a massive weekend event and invite 100 people I know when I crossed the single for 10 years milestone. I didn't have a weekend in Nashville with eight of my best girlfriends when I achieved my greatest salary and professional role to date. Would anyone have shown up for either, taken either one seriously? Like I still wonder about that. Oh, yeah. You know, and I, I wonder too with this, like even sort of zooming out a little bit that, you know, why can't someone who's married like also celebrate their greatest salary and professional role to date? Like I think there's something that's beneficial in like creating more celebratory moments and milestones that exist outside of kind of, you know, romantic partnership that that it like benefits everyone. Well, they do. When you have a partner, I think that partner is going to acknowledge your mm, accomplishments. Very when you're yeah, alone, great point. Yep. My cat doesn't know when I get promoted. Like she has no idea when I land a new freelance I mean, client. Our she cats don't care. No, cats don't care about any. Even if they knew, even right. if they could comprehend, they still wouldn't give right. a shit. Let's be so real. They're like, like, "Where's my food? Pet me when I want to be pet." Yes. Exactly. Like it's you know when you're on your own, there's there. Uh, Somebody asked me a question one time. She's like, I don't know how to deal with the fact that there's no one around to throw me a birthday party. It made her really sad. And she found herself like asking too much of her roommate because she just really wanted someone to throw her a birthday party. She didn't want to have to plan her own birthday party. And that's not asking much at all. But when you're single, there's no one to do that. And that feels very, very unfair, especially if everyone around you has that, that that's part of the darkness. That is part of the darkness of being single. That is very unfair. So we either have to get more comfortable celebrating ourselves and, and planning these things for ourselves and acknowledging these things for ourselves, or we have to interact with each other in a really different way and celebrate each other in a really different way and start start celebrating many things, different things, fully and honestly, and not as like a favor to the single girl. Like things have to be valid. More things have to be valid than a marriage. Right. And not like, we're going to celebrate this so that you get to celebrate something too. Not like a consolation prize. Correct. I, I don't ever want a consolation prize ever. I intend to have the most epic 40th birthday when I turn 40 ever, but I'm still going to do it if I'm married by that time. 
Yeah. No, I mean, that reminder, and again, I think this goes back to the like little dishes of poison thing that you were saying before, that um, just the default assumption that there is someone there to like plan these types of things with, right? Or, you know, you do get the promotion or this thing does happen, like automatic baked in, like this is someone who's taking me out for dinner, right? For example, that like, it's all, it's all of the ways that it extends into that. Yeah. There's always, there's always something baked in. There's always a a celebration baked in. There's always a partner baked in. There's always a companion for the rock show or for the stand-up show. There's always, there's always somebody there. There are so many questions are just eliminated because you have like this other person who's going to do things with you, which even like the longer that I'm single, the more that's silly. Like I don't want a relationship where I just assume (laughs) that my partner is going to do everything with me. I, I want us to still have different interests and still do things alone and still have like things that are not in common that we still do. I still like individuality within a relationship, but not for nothing. It would be nice to have someone to go to a stand-up show with. Like that would be really fun because I don't like sitting at a table full of strangers, but that's where they stick me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Or even sort of the day-to-day. And I know you've talked about this too, like the, like help moving or like help, like just doing like those types of tasks fuck me moving is the worst thing that has ever happened to me as a single woman I'm not being dramatic (laughs) okay say more say more about that (laughs) I told you how I used to have pretty severe anxiety and and that went away and I, I it got better but when I moved last summer it came back like a Mack truck in my face moving day was the hardest this day I've had in so long. And again, it was like full of anxiety. It wasn't necessarily that like the world was ending. It was just like my anxiety was so high because I was literally shaking the ground beneath my feet. Um, and I hadn't done it in six years. It had been a really long time. And like, there was no one, no one was there to help. No one was there to hug me. No one was there to like pick up the cat and her carrier and like my bag of like valuables that I have to carry over and like the big thing of stuff from the fridge that I don't want to throw away. Like that was all me by myself. Bless Lyft for existing because I don't know how I would have gotten me and my cat to my new apartment on the subway. Um, But yeah, it was just, I felt very alone and very out in the wind and very unsupported. And I have a wonderful, wonderful friend, Connor, who like heard my anxiety and in my voice and he, um, the day after moving day, he came over and he stayed overnight and helped me finish unpacking and just like made me feel like I wasn't alone in the world. Um, and that's another thing, like utilize your friendships more than we do. We can ask more of our friends, even our married friends than we're used to. So, um, but yeah, moving was just like, this is a joke. Like, this is a joke. Like, how am I doing this alone? This is an actual joke. It was just really hard to, um, like Marie Kondo everything and then pack everything. And then like, I had to start packing early, right? Because I'm by myself and I don't know how long it's going to take to pack and I don't want to not be finished by the time the movers get there. And it was summer and really hot and I was getting really tired really quickly. And like, so I started packing like two or three weeks before I moved. So I'm living in boxes, waiting to move for the first time in years. I get really high anxiety in the summer just because I'm hot and sweating. And I don't know why, but that triggers things for me. I don't like being hot or sweating, FYI. But yeah, moving was... Moving was a really big reminder of like even somebody who is writing about the wonderful parts of being single and the valid parts of being single and podcasting on the topic too. Like even that person can just have an absolute breakdown on moving day and just be like, why the fuck didn't I marry someone from high school? Like that sort of shit was happening. Oh, yeah. I mean, well, I think about, you know, like 
being maybe in your like early to mid twenties, I feel like when, when you were talking about, um, like utilizing your friends more, relying on your friends more, there was more of a culture of that, right? Like everyone comes over and helps or, you know, it's not a wild thing to have a friend drive you to the airport, right? Or help move or that kind of thing. And um, a piece that I will link to in the show notes that I know is a popular piece of yours about the coffee table story. And you said the truth is if you're single over 30 and need help, you have to hire it. And like that is like completely speaking to what you're saying right now. Yes, because when somebody finds the person that's in the number one spot, it's suddenly assumed that you can't ask anything of them anymore because you are no longer the person who gets their help or their attention. Someone else is as if they can't pay attention to more than one person at once. Yeah. Which obviously is not true. (laughs) I mean, it's so, it's so funny. And like the, the most genuine friendships I have now are couples and I, I am valued equally by both parts of that couple. It's so like, it's just so not this awkward third wheelie situation. Like I go up and stay at Connor and Jake's house all the time upstate, like 50 minutes upstate. It's not that upstate, but like I go up there all the time for the weekend because they invite me because they like my company and we have a great time. We go on a hike with the dog and it's like, it's just, you can be, you can be close to people who are in couples. You don't have to be this like left out thing. Like there's so much, there's so much you can do that we've typically only seen couples do. You can do that on your own. And you, you don't have to feel like getting comfortable with doing all these things alone is going to keep you away from being with somebody because I promise it won't. It's just the opposite. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm interested to hear a little bit about how, and, and maybe the answer is that they haven't, but you know, it, like if slash how your friendships have changed after sort of the light bulb moment of, okay, I'm not going to be miserable being single anymore. I'm going to do all these things, right, that you've already shared in this conversation differently. Was there an impact on your friendships? Um, that's a great question. I don't know. No, I think those closest to me are really proud of me. And sort of the more satellite friendships, some of them have fallen off. Because I don't think that everything that I have to say about this topic, I don't think that it's all stuff that people are ready to hear. And that's okay. If you're not ready to hear it, if you are not ready to delete your dating apps, if you are not ready to see being single as a good thing, if you still feel like you are incomplete or missing something because you're not in a partnership, that's okay. Like you're not bad or wrong in my eyes at all. Like That's totally fine. I mean, the, um, the cultural script is there for the, for those feelings to be happening. Yes, of course. Like what, I mean, there are people that are not ready to hear what I have to say. And I say it so loudly that I think sometimes like I'm off putting to certain friendships where like, they'll feel like they're letting me down if they want to talk about like an online date that they went on or something like that. I've also the unintended consequences. I've had like podcast listeners and readers feel like they have to confess to me that they're dating someone. And I'm like, Oh my God, you can still listen to the podcast. If you have a boyfriend, I don't give a shit. I don't give a shit. Like it's so it's okay. It is okay to partner up. It is more than okay to partner up. I think that's wonderful. I think being in a partnership and being alone are equally wonderful. So please don't feel bad at all. Like it's, it's actually kind of funny when people email me and they're like, so I just wanted to say that I'm seeing someone. (laughs) (laughs) That's sort of delightful. But you know, I wonder too, like so much of what we're talking about of, you know, sort of how maybe people in couples like treat single people, right? Like that the idea that I feel like someone who isn't single, right? Like I'm not single and I'm getting so much from your work 
But I think that that's also part of it, right? Like the people who need to, I mean, and obviously there's like a, you know, two sides to an audience, but sometimes like the people who need to be hearing the thing are the people who like, who's changed behavior will change the culture. Does that make sense? Of course it does. And a lot of what I'm saying too, like, I hope that it benefits everyone in couples or singles alike, because I think the more you are in your worth, whether you're in a relationship or single, the more you are in your worth, the less likely you are to be in the wrong relationship, the less likely you are to settle for something just because it's there. And the more patience you are willing to have with yourself and with the world to wait for what is right. And I hope that is, I hope that's the final end game of my work is that fewer people are settling for relationships that make them feel small or that they feel like they've had to really compromise who they are or what they want and waiting for something that is remarkable and wonderful and beautiful as opposed to settling. And I feel like I came so close to settling so many times and I'm so grateful that I didn't. I'm, I'm genuinely happy that I did not get married before today because I wasn't ready. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think back like particularly when I was younger, like times that I, you know, would partner up and I have this sort of knowledge and like self-awareness now, it definitely wasn't a conscious thing then, but you know, that it's, you know, Hey, if I say yes to this person being my boyfriend, like people treat me differently, like couple privilege is a very real thing. And I, you know, it makes me feel special or, and it, it was, it was almost like I wasn't even stopping to ask myself, like, do I really like this person? Do I really want to be with this person? Or does it just feel good that this person is picking me? And like my culture has told me that that like is a good thing for a woman who dates men. I don't know. There was like, as I start to interrogate that now, and of course, compassion for my younger self, I was, you know, did the best that I could with what I had, but there were definitely like long periods of time where I should have been single and wasn't. Yeah. And I think that that's a really common experience. The more friends and, you know, other people that I've talked to about that, that there is a lot of pressure to couple up. For sure. Of course there is. Yeah. There's something about being in a couple that just makes everybody feel better. Mm-hmm. But if it's the wrong couple, <laughs> how good is it really? Yeah. I mean, and a lot of sort of interrogating this type of type of stuff too happened for me in getting divorced, right? Like what are the stories that were told around that? I remember, and I had, you know, I guess what could be arguably considered like the best, nicest divorce of all time. And still it was really hard. And I had one person early on that when I said that I was getting divorced, her response was congratulations instead of I'm sorry. And that was such an interesting conversation that we had sort of after that. And you know, that it wasn't like a a pitying, oh, I feel so terrible for you. I don't know. It was like just an interesting way to respond. And that has like changed how I respond to people now as well. Oh, for sure. I see no failure in divorce whatsoever. I see no failure in any relationship ending. I think all breakups are a good thing. If a breakup had to happen, that had to happen. And that's a good thing. Would you rather still be with them and miserable? No, there's, there's so much stigma around a relationship ending or a marriage ending as if it's a failure, but it's not. It's something that needs to end ending so that good can come to both of those people apart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, completely. So you mentioned a couple of times your podcast. Will you tell folks a little bit about kind of what the show is and the types of things that you talk to people about? Sure. It's essentially just like everything I've talked about for the last hour, just once a week. Um, (laughs) It is called A Single Serving Podcast, and it's every Monday. 
I publish it at like two in the morning so that my listeners in London can listen to it on their way to work because I love them. And I have guests every week and they're really from just all, all walks of life, all professions, all backgrounds. I want to, I really like talking to people who are creating something in the single space that does not relate to dating. I've found that all content created for single women is about dating. It's just always like the only thing that anybody wants to create for the single audience is just dating shit. That's it. Just like dating stories or dating advice or like, oh my God, how to survive dating, of course. But like it's, we care about more than that. But constantly feeding to us only content that's about dating just reiterates to us that that's all we should care about is finding someone. And that's not true at all. There's so many aspects of single life that are out there to discuss. And I was tired of not seeing them or hearing them. Or I was tired of like every podcast for single women being like this funny but negative experience. Like, this is why I'm single or like I'm single forever or something like that. It's just like, like we deserve more. Not that like I don't want those people to create their podcasts. Like, go create whatever you want, Mazel. But I need to see more than that. I need to see content beyond dating content for single women. And because I wasn't finding it, I wanted to make it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that's the origin story of a lot of creative content. That was for me with this podcast, right? It's like, you really want something to exist that doesn't exist in quite the way that you want. So you're like, okay, well, I'm someone I can create this. And and that always is, I feel like a beautiful way to start a project. I hope so. It's, you know, you get really tired. Like I write in this space, obviously I write for single women. A lot of the incoming I'm going to see is going to pertain to dating, but it's just like the only pitches I get are for dating apps. It's are we not making anything else for single people? I interviewed the founders of Flashpack. They are a company that um, they curate travel experiences for solo travelers. And I thought that, that was so cool. I'm like, oh my God, somebody's making something for single people. Holy shit, come on my podcast. <laughs> like, it's that kind of thing. It's like, there's so much more to single life. And I wanted a space to discuss it and to celebrate it and to, to make people feel like they were valid and that like whatever their status, whether you're choosing to be single and you don't want a relationship or you are not choosing to be single and you want to like being single anyway, whatever your status and thoughts about being single are, this is a space for you. There's like, like whatever your, whatever your feelings are, you deserve whatever you want. And this is a space to discuss all of the things that, that, aren't going to make you feel like you have to be in constant pursuit of partnership. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Will you share something that either you learned from one of your podcast guests or like something that like really stuck with you that you feel like you still think about all the time? Oh my God. So much. I've had so many, so many guests that have been so incredible to talk to. Some of whom are like my friends in real life now. But my first episode of 2020 was Bella DiPaolo. And she is a social scientist on the subject of being single. And I feel like everything that I'm like screaming into the internet about for all of these years, she's actually done research to prove. And so talking to her was like, oh my God, it's real. And that was just incredible. She is absolutely incredible. Um, She's the type of person that she is very, very happy to be single and does not want partnership. Um, I am not that. I really look forward to my partnership one day. I think that's going to be incredible. I'm so excited for that. So we come from very different perspectives, but we still care very deeply about this audience and want them to feel good. And it was 
an absolute privilege to talk to her about this stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm going to have to check that episode out. Um, do you feel like there's anything that hasn't come up yet in this conversation that you either really wanted to mention or dig into or share? Oh my gosh, I don't know. I'm not sure. I feel like that I say this stuff so many times. Like, you know how you have to hear things repeated for it to sink in? Mm-hmm. Like those those moments where I hear from people and it's sunk in for them just make me feel like I'm not crazy. See, for like screaming like a banshee into the internet about things that like, like I've gotten emails from people or, or comments from people like, like, wow, you're really brave to do this. And like, like, am I like, I don't feel like it's a brave thing to do to tell this truth. And they're telling me I'm brave because they're like, you know, some guy's going to Google you and then he's not going to want to take you out. I'm like, okay, good. He wasn't supposed to. That's mm-hmm. fine. But yeah, I don't know. I think it's really important to have these discussions because I could have used them 10 years ago. I really could have used them. And so I want to, to give them to the world. But I think in the grand scheme of all of this world (laughs) that I'm trying to, trying to create content for, I think we've covered quite a bit. Yeah, I think so too. Well, then the last thing sort of on this topic, um, before we wrap up that I would love to ask is if there's anything like potentially like even like manifesto style, right? For the person who's listening, who like really needs this message, what are like the couple of things that you would just like want to kind of reiterate or remind people to hopefully take with them? Oh my gosh. So I put it all in one place. It's a piece I wrote called how to stop hating being single. And they're like all of these like data points of like what I think people should start thinking about, if you're finding it hard to like reframe the way you think about being single, there are a couple different like points that I want everybody to think about. I will very, very quickly run through them. Yeah, it doesn't even have to be very quickly. Go for it. Yeah. Okay. So the first thing is being single isn't bad. Just start evaluating that sentence for yourself. Then the second one is free your mind, which yes, is an on Vogue song from 1992, but it's also just like really open up. Just like really open your mind up to a different way to live and a different way to be and like let the desire to be happy allow your mind to expand. And I know it's a really like abstract concept, but I feel like if you come into this from a place of being really open, it's easier. Then the other one is there's more to single life than dating. And I mean this one so much. There is so much more to single life than just dating, but we're not taught that we're taught that that's what we're supposed to focus on until we find someone and then we can focus on everything else, but you don't have to wait to find someone to do whatever you want. Then, um, unhappy single women are set up to fail. And that's that sort of shit sandwich that I was talking about. Like that really difficult partnership pursuit that exists on one side. And then the whole world just sort of always seeing you as a failure on the other side. And like, the first time you see a friend and you haven't seen them in a long time, the first thing they're going to ask you is, are you seeing anybody? That's just the the world that we live in between. Um, so yeah, we're, we're kind of set up to fail. It's not you. You're not crazy. Like we're all in this together. The next one is happy single women don't settle. And I talked about this a little bit ago. Like the, the more you embrace this life and the happier you are in this life, the less likely you will be to give it up for somebody who isn't worthy of you. Um, the next one is delete your dating apps. 
just point blank period, delete your dating apps. I'll send you a link to this because I do make like, I used to be a lawyer. So I like fully make all of these points. <laughs> I can fully draw them out. Oh yeah. I'll but put like, this in the show notes for sure. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, just delete your dating apps. If you take nothing else from me delete your dating apps right now, they don't like you. They don't care about you. <laughs> delete your dating apps. Um, the next one is beware of desperate energy. Desperate energy is a really hard thing to hear. And it's like hard to admit to yourself that you're desperate to find somebody, but that's another thing that you can just decide to let go today. You don't have to do anything big or make any massive changes. You can just decide to let that go um, because I think that desperate energy sort of feeds into the negativity of the dating experience and it makes it harder and it makes it feel worse and letting go of that desperate energy and just deciding to like let go of having to be in control of this or having to steer this ship can make you feel better. The other one is um, get off the hope roller coaster. The hope roller coaster is like as soon as you've got one on the hook, like you have a guy that actually matched with you and wrote you back and texted you and you have plans to see him. Like that hope roller coaster of like that rise up and that crash down when he never texts you back again. Like that up and down, up and down, up and down. That gives dating so much power over how we feel. And mm-hmm. I don't think that it deserves that much power. Mm-hmm. I think I have three more. Um, Oh, stop treating everything like an opportunity to meet someone. Oh my God. This is one of my favorite ones. Every time we leave the house as single women, we're like, maybe we'll meet someone. Stop that. Just stop that. (laughs) Just go to the grocery store. Don't think about everything as an opportunity to meet somebody because you are adding a secondary goal to very normal activities. And then when that secondary goal doesn't happen, the normal activity itself was a failure and it wasn't because it was probably just fine. You probably went to a party and had a good time. And if you didn't happen to meet anybody there and you set that as a goal, you're going to remember that as like, oh, I had a bad time at that party because I didn't meet anyone. But maybe you had a great time with your friends. So. Yeah, the, I, I feel like this one, I mean, they're all really good. And the like underscoring that I want to do on this one is like so, so dramatic that, yeah, like you can just, you know, take the whatever I don't know, the cooking class or go on the hike or go to the party or go to the grocery store, like for the same reasons that you would do those things if you weren't looking for a partner. Oh my God. 100%. By the way, men don't take cooking classes. Single (laughs) men don't take cooking classes. Married men take cooking classes. That's who learns how to cook guys. Stop it. They don't take pottery classes. They don't take French lessons. They are at home playing video games and watching really ridiculous porn. That's what they're doing. I'm sorry. Like, I'm just going to tell you that truth. Um, Which, by the way, you can stay home and watch ridiculous porn and play video games, too. And that's a good time. Um, Number 10, stop social media self-harm. That's what we're talking about at the very beginning of this is like how we frame jealousy and who we're following and what it's making us feel like and choosing to feel better. Oh, there's two more. Sorry. Um, Nothing outside of you can make you happy. If you are unhappy now, you will be unhappy in a relationship. And there is lots and lots of research to support that. So please stop seeing a relationship as like the thing that's going to fix you or the I'll be happy when, because that's not true. Um, And then this is really the last one. And we've talked about this a lot. It is possible to love being single and want a relationship at the same time and also be worthy of having that relationship at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I feel like that's like the perfect way to wrap this up. Like bam, 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 manifesto. (laughs) That's it. I had to write one because I was like, I can't keep repeating myself all the time on the internet to these people that are emailing (laughs) me. So I just send them to this and I'm like, this is everything. Just go ahead and read them. I love that. Well, the way that we end these conversations are with a series of rapid fire-ish community questions. So all of our guests this month are answering the same eight random questions. If you're down to talk about eight 
kind of things that have nothing to do with what we've already talked about. <laughs> oh, absolutely. How are you taking care of yourself lately? What does self-care look for you right now in your life? Oh man, I love self-care. I think it's fantastic. I go to bed really early. I wake up really early because my brain is amazing from like 4 a.m. to 10 a.m. So uh, that's one of the things that I do and I don't care if that makes me weird. Um, what else? What else is self-care that I do? I love a good middle of the day shower. I'm <laughs> I'm a freelancer, so I can do whatever I want whenever I want. I love a good like this day is terrible. I'm going to take a shower and reset. It's almost like a second morning. Oh my gosh, Amy, I feel so seen by this. I same, like the hardest hard same I could ever. For me, it's often midday baths. I, yes. It's funny. I just wrote about this for my community recently that it was one of the main reasons that I love, you know, working for myself is that I don't have a, okay, I have to be at an office from this time to this time, but I wasn't really fully taking advantage of that. I was really guilting myself a lot of, well, it's 1 p.m. on a Thursday, you're supposed to be working. And, you know, but if I've structured my day so that that's not the case, like I actually can take a bath right at 1 p.m. if that uh, is a thing that I want to do. And I have really recently started doing that with like no shame, no guilt. And it is like transforming my life. It's the best. It's the best. Oh my God. I feel very seen. Thank you. <laughs> what are some of your favorite ways to show up and care for the people that you love? Oh my goodness. I send snail mail. I send a lot of snail mail to my beloveds. Um, I love it. I love like the idea of somebody receiving something they weren't expecting. I also, I like having people over to my house now. I've moved to a place that I'm really confident entertaining in. I didn't used to live in a place like that. I had an apartment I wasn't really proud of. And now I have one that I am proud of. And I love having people over. I'm having two of my girlfriends over this Saturday because they both want to learn how to cook. I don't know why I am the chosen teacher, but hey, we're going to cook together in my kitchen. Also, just like being present. Like if you haven't texted someone in a while, text them. Like not every text or email has to be about making plans. It can just be about saying, hi, I was thinking about you. I do that a lot. Yeah, same. What's one goal or project that you are currently working on or working toward? Um, lately, I have found a lot of people reaching out to me about freelance writing and sort of a like self-worth focused perspective on freelance writing. And um, I do a lot of coaching sessions on this. And I would like to... 2020, I would like to put in place like some like a passive way to address this. I would love to record like a video class that's like everything I know about staying in your worth as a freelance writer and negotiating rates and negotiating with clients and finding more clients and like just sort of the best place to operate from as a freelancer. And so I would love to get this like like downloadable video online for purchase on my website. That is one of my biggest goals right now because I love my like individual like face-to-face coaching sessions, but I think there should also be a like more affordable option available for people who are interested in this stuff. Hell yeah, make that thing. That sounds fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) What is your recommendation for something to binge watch? Hunters. Yeah. Do it. Do it. Do okay. It. If you're having people over for a little dinner gathering, what's your favorite go-to recipe or meal to make? Oh my God. So anything in Alice and Roman's cookbook, anything, um, anything that half-baked harvest makes. I love a good cheese board who doesn't, but I think, yeah, anything in Alice and Roman's cookbook, it's called nothing fancy. That'll, that'll set you straight. Yeah. I've heard a lot of praise for that book. It's so good. What's something in your life that definitely didn't go according to plan, but that you are grateful for after the fact? 
Oh, God, if you hadn't added the grateful part, I would have said law school. (laughs) Okay, yeah, well, you can answer this question however you want. Feel free to ditch the end part. That's fine. (laughs) Yeah, law school did not work out the way I wanted it to. I became an attorney and then I very, very promptly unbecame an attorney. That did not work out the way it was supposed to, but all for the better because the job I have now is the job I am authentically meant to have. And that was not. See, you were grateful for it. Yes, in a way. (laughs) Which two or three books, any type of book, any genre, would you say have either had the biggest impact on you or that you find yourself recommending or rereading most often? I haven't done a reread since I was a kid, but when I was a kid, I reread everything Judy Bloom ever wrote. <laughs> Those were very formative books for me when I was young. These days, I would say Alison Rose Better Than Sane was a really impactful book for sure. God, there are some, the American Girls series. I was a Molly. Don't know about you guys, but like American Girls was so powerful for me. That's a, that's a really good question because there are so many thinking about your book, like autobiographically in terms of think about your life in terms of books autobiographically is really hard and interesting. That Yeah, that would be an interesting, like, you know, take a half hour, an hour and kind of map out like, key moments of your life or like different phases of your life based on book. If you're someone who reads a lot, right, which it sounds like you do and I do as well. Like if I were to have to be like, okay, what was the book of like these couple of years? Right? Like, I feel like that oh. would be a very interesting flowchart. So good. Okay, I'm going to have so to do good. that. That's like a great, <laughs> another great mini homework assignment. Right. Um, so our last question, if you could leave our community, the listeners with one call to action, what would it be? Maybe a question to ask themselves or a small action to take? Mm, there's so many. Um, I would just, I would look at your, look at your single life and ask yourself what is serving you and what is not. And don't be afraid to walk away from what's not serving you. It will not punish you. It will not keep you single longer to remove from your life the things that make you feel bad about being single. So less of the bad, more of the good, and you're not going to be punished for it. What is the best place for people to find you and say hi online? Do you have a particular favorite way to connect with new folks? There are so many. I have a really Googleable name, which is nice. Um, but shaneysilver.com is sort of the hub for everything. My emails there, my podcast links are there, um, my medium links are there, refinery stuff is there. So shaneysilver.com is probably the best starting point. And you're welcome to follow me on Instagram if you enjoy pictures of food and cats. And yeah, that's it. I love it. I enjoy pictures of food and cats. So yes, so perfect. <laughs> um, awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. And that's our show for today. Thanks so much for listening and for being part of the Real Talk Radio family. Speaking of the Real Talk Radio family, I want to give a huge shout out to Adam Day, my producer and sound engineer. Adam is the best. He created the music for this show and he just makes everything work and flow and sound way better than I ever could. You can find him and his music and his sound editing work at adamday.net. And as I said way back at the top of the episode, this is a 100% listener-supported show. This show is made possible by awesome people like Clara. Hi, Clara. Hi. So we're going to do a fun, well, hopefully fun, round of rapid-fire questions if you're ready. I am ready. What is your favorite pick-me-up or self-care activity after a hard day? Mm, oh, good question. I think right now is lighting a candle and taking some deep breaths and writing in my journal. Mm, that sounds very peaceful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's my favorite. What are a few of the qualities that you most look for in your friendships? 
Ooh, my favorite topic. Um, I think being able to handle raw and honest conversation, um, being up for our minds to change and adapt based on our needs, and also um, welcoming feedback and um, change that we might need to do for each other, for our friendship. Yeah, I love that. The idea that it's not like a static relationship, right? That it can change and grow and evolve and that the relationship itself is like a living thing. Yeah, and checking on each other, like what relationship is doing for you right now and how can I best show up for you and allowing it to be different mm-hmm. from time to time. Mm-hmm. What makes you feel really loved? I think when people say I love you and when people are, when I have different people from my life meeting each other, and they have no connection except for myself. And I can see them sharing stories in a loving way about me and making fun of me. And I know they do it in a place of love. Uh, it just happened last night with my partner and one of my friends. And um, I don't know. I think it's one of a, a feeling I kind of love sharing people. Yeah, that's so, that's, sense, no, it totally right? makes sense. It's so lovely. Yeah. Like also like getting to introduce like different people who you love, who wouldn't know each other without you, like introducing them to each other and watching them bond. I love that too. Yeah, I know. And you're like, you're welcome. Now you get, you have a new friend. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What's something that makes you feel like very like yourself? Like, what are you doing when you feel most alive? Mm, I laugh um, a lot and I'm outside and I'm just smiling at everything and listening to a podcast or just being with the trees and just like being very content, I guess. Yeah. 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 You have like one of my favorite laughs. You, you, came, <laughs> you came to the re- retreat in Arizona in January and I feel like your laugh was one of my favorite parts of that entire event. <laughs> Thank you. Um, last question. Oh. What's one topic that you would love to hear more open and honest conversation about on the podcast this year? Um, I love money month and I'm loving February right now. I guess I'd like a sex topic or sex month with more uh, conversation regarding the ch- your change in your body and what you used to like and don't like and how to approach that with your partners um, if you have more than one. And yeah, the, if you have a long-term relationship, how to approach like change in sexuality and, and all of those things. I guess I'd mm-hmm. like to hear more about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's such yeah. a good topic. Yeah. I mean, obviously I'm always down to talk about sex and money. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes, totally. <laughs> so you are a member of our Patreon support squad, which means that you're one of the people that listeners can thank for making this podcast possible since you mm-hmm. make a small and powerful reoccurring per episode pledge that helps to fund the costs of producing the show and paying all the guests. And I would love for you to share why you decided to support the show. Um, it was very simple. I listened to one episode a year and a half ago and at your intro, you said how you pay your guests and you pay more for minority or for folks um, who are queer and things like that. And as soon as you say that, I was done and I, I pledged without even listening to the podcast just because I never heard about anyone else actually doing the thing that we wish everybody else were doing and especially big corporation in the world um so that's why and then i fell in love with your conversation um you push me without you talking to me you push me in in rethinking a lot of things and i love all of the plus we get and i love our google hangouts every month 
and those are fun and I think everybody should contribute Mm, thanks yeah i love the google hangouts too yeah. that's like one of my favorite but i mean basically the google hangouts there are treats like live events basically i'm like can we just hang yes. out <laughs> can we just have these yeah. conversations in person yes clearly um do you want to share where you live and like a social media link if you want if people want to say hi yeah um i live in edmonton canada uh and i have instagram but i rarely post um but you can still reach out um and it's clara c-l-a-r-a B-O-U-U. Yeah, love it. And to everyone listening, if you love the podcast, if you want to help keep it going, if you want lots of bonus content, plus other fun opportunities like doing these outros, just go to patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette to make your pledge of $1 or more per episode. Your support is what allows the show to continue. And I can't wait to get to know you better after you've joined our community. That's going to be so much fun. So until next time, as I always say, here is a big virtual hug and a reminder that we're all just doing the best we can. And no matter what, we're in this together.